Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And in this episode, I'm going to explore a very fascinating chapter in the history of Fort Custer. And it was during the period when there were German POWs held at Fort Custer. And that whole network of branch camps and the whole history of German POWs in Michigan. It's a fascinating chapter in Michigan history, so come along and join me. So to begin to understand the story, this was obviously during World War II when the German POWs were held at Fort Custer. The first POW company organized was the 440th U.S. Army, and it was trained to process German and Italian POWs. And this was formed in 1942, in the early part of 1942. Um, There was an article in April of 1943 in the Battle Creek Inquirer and News that explained that the company was training at Fort Custer, and they were training to process German and Italian soldiers. Uh, The company consisted of 135 men. Most of the company were foreign-born, and a few of them were interviewed in the article. Um, There was one that was from Austria, another from Switzerland, and another from South Africa, and they were bilingual in either German or Italian. But not all of the members of the unit were foreign-born. There were several that were language instructors, Uh, One of them was from the University of Wisconsin, and another was from the University of Cincinnati. The one in Cincinnati was an Italian instructor, and the one in Wisconsin was a German instructor. So the 440th company was organized, and they trained for about a year at Fort Custer. And German POW camps were held all over the United States. Some of the areas that I was able to uncover were Wisconsin, Illinois, of course, Michigan. There was a Camp Mexia in Texas where 6,500 German POWs were held. And if you do research on it, there were POW camps all over uh, the southern part of the U.S. And I'm not really going to go into all of those locations. But if you're curious, you can search and do some Google searching on it. And you'll find locations of uh, German POW camps that were set up from about 1943. And they existed until the early part of 1946 in the U.S. The German POWs started being sent over in 1943. Now, in Michigan, I was not able to identify any camps that had Italian POW soldiers. When I did research on that previously, I did a video on the history of the Fort Custer Cemetery about a year ago, and I had to go through an approval process with the Fort Custer director to be able to film out there. I was doing a video for YouTube, and I was invited by one of the gentlemen that um, serves on the honor guard out there, and he took me into a tour of the cemetery and showed me a lot of the details and told me some of the backstory that I was able to include in that video, and he helped me locate a lot of fascinating uh, graves and, and tell a lot of the history of the landmarks and monuments out at Fort Custer. National Cemetery in that video. And of course, one of the grave sites that I visited out there and filmed and included in the story in that video is 
the German POWs. There are 26 German POWs buried at the Fort Custer National Cemetery. And I'll get into more of their deaths here in a minute in this podcast, just uh, towards the later end of this podcast, I'll get into that. But the first article on the transfer of POW soldiers arriving in Fort Custer that I was able to find was October 27th, 1943 in the Battle Creek Inquirer and News. And it says German POWs began to arrive at Fort Custer. They were transferred from Camp Grant in Illinois. Um, They were closed in the regular army fatigues, but they were dyed in a blue color rather than the khaki color. And they had a PW stitched onto the back of the uniform and also on the knees of the trousers. So that was how they were uniformed in the POW camps. Interestingly enough, in the same article, it explains that they were allowed to keep their German uniforms and their medals and other personal items And they were even allowed to wear them on Sundays or in the evenings. But during the day when they were out working, they were required to wear the other fatigues. And there was also a note in there about the rations. Um, They fed them the same rations as the American soldiers for food. But the Germans were not really fond of the meat for the most part. And they started requesting potatoes cabbage and sweet rolls and the fort custer commissary began to accommodate them Um, each of the german soldiers were organized into units and they were and each of the units were organized into companies and there was an american officer that oversaw each of the companies part of the pow experience here in michigan was that they were used as a labor force and fort custer was the central fort in Michigan housing POWs. And what they did is from Fort Custer, they established what were called branch camps all over the state of Michigan. At its peak, there were 19 different branch camps in addition to Fort Custer established in the state of Michigan. And these branch camps were smaller POW camps set up usually in agricultural areas outside of communities. And I'm going to go over a list of the locations where they existed here. Some of the ones that I found in the article that was uh, written, this one was written in November of 1945, where they listed out the branch camps as they began to be closed. And there was one in Fremont, one in Coloma, one in Waterloo, one in Grant. There was one outside Lake Odessa. There was one outside Owasso. There was one near Hart, Sotus, another near Dundee, one near Crossville, one near Cairo, one near Mount Pleasant, and another in Bay City in Alma. There were five other ones near Allegan, Romulus, Blissfield, Freeland, and Gross Isle. And those were the last five to close as the war was wrapping up. And so the purpose of the branch camps was to alleviate critical labor shortages that were happening across the state of Michigan as all the servicemen who normally worked the farms were serving over in Europe in the big war, 
or over in the Pacific fighting the Japanese, there was a huge labor shortage. And these same labor shortages were being experienced all over the country. So the system that was put in place was to establish a central POW camp in one of the military forts in each state that had the POW system. And they would also establish branch camps that were linked out, run by the same camp. And so in Michigan, they were all under the control of Fort Custer here in Battle Creek. And all of these 19 branch camps were run by officers that were based out of Fort Custer. And so these camps were set up in agricultural areas where they worked in the fields to alleviate labor shortages. And they also worked in orchards. And a total of 1642909 was paid to the U.S. Treasury at the close of 1945 for the production that was done by these branch camps in the labor force in 1945 from January through November of that year. And the money was paid into the U.S. Treasury to offset the cost of transporting and caring for and feeding the soldiers and also supporting the military. So the labor from the POWs was going to pay back the U.S. government for some of the costs that were incurred in the war. So how many POWs were actually held in Michigan? Well, the numbers vary depending on the articles that you read. From what I was able to uncover, there was somewhere between six to as many as 10,000 POWs held in the state of Michigan during the years of 1943 to 1946. Um, There was a central core of them that were concentrated and always kept at Camp Custer, that was about 3,000 or so. Probably the more difficult cases were probably kept there, and the ones that were sent out to branch camps were the ones that were willing to work and probably were less of the disciplinary problems. Um, I think the ones that were discipline problems were kept at Fort Custer, and the other ones were sent out to work at the other branch camps, based on what I was able to read on here. And as the war ended, they were sent back in to Fort Custer and processed and sent out. And I'll get into a little bit more of that in a minute here. And during the time that the camps existed all over the state, there, as can be expected, there were escapees from some of the camps. And just searching the Battle Creek newspapers, and I didn't go into a whole statewide search on this, I came up with a few interesting stories. There was one out of Owasso where three escaped POWs wound up on a farmer's farm and they were found hiding under a canvas in his wheat field. And he happened to speak German, so he was able to speak with them. And they said that they were out going for a walk to find out more about the invasion. Now, this was in June of 1944, so D-Day had already happened and the invasion of Germany was underway. And they knew about this. Maybe they had been Um, briefed on it a little bit or the rumor mill somehow got to them and so they knew something was happening in Europe as the big invasion of Germany and so they had they told the farmer that they were out trying to find out more news about that and they also threatened the farmers saying that if you tell anybody we're going to kill you they had a one of them had a club the other one had a knife and the other had a file and the farmer said oh don't worry just uh 
you know, don't worry, you guys stay there as long as you want. And he, of course, went back to his house and had his wife drive into the nearest town. She actually drove to the um, the branch camp that was nearby, Owasso, and reported it to the guards there. And the guards sent out a unit to come and, and round them back up. So they weren't gone for more than a couple of days. There was another report of a POW that escaped here in Fort Custer, and they were out searching for him. And the article falsely reported that they had captured him over in Galesburg, and then they corrected it in that article saying that was a misidentification. But I was looking for the follow-up article to see if he was ever captured, and there was no information on that. And that was in July of 1944. In August of 1944, there were four that escaped from the Allegan camp, and they were captured a short time later. There was not much in the way of details on that one. And in June of 1945, there was an individual POW that escaped, and he was found 15 miles southwest of the Allegan camp, and he'd been out on his own for 24 hours. And they would put them on a punishment when they brought him back to the camp, and it described the punishment in this article from uh, June 26, 1945. It said, uh, He was put on bread and water and hard labor for 15 days. And there was another incident that was kind of an interesting one. This was in September of 1945. And also that June one in 1945 is interesting because the war in Europe was officially announced as over in May of 1945. And there's articles where they briefed the prisoners that the war was over. The POWs were held still as prisoners of war until 1946, partly due because the the war in Japan was still ongoing. That didn't end until late 1945. And so they were still prisoners of war and not going to be released. So they went through the work details. They went to the, they worked in the branch camps. And so in September of 1945, there was an escaped POW that left the Allegan camp. And he told a farmer that he ended up staying at the house of that he had wanted to stay in the U.S. and fight against the Japanese. And he had been on the run for four days and he'd survived on grapes and raw corn from the different fields that he had been through. And he wound up in South Haven at this farm. So the farmer convinced him to stick around under the pretext that he would feed him some dinner and he ended up sending for the state police who rounded him up and took him back to the camp. So even though this was an interesting time period. He escaped in September. The war was over officially in Europe. Germany had surrendered. They still took him back to the camp and they probably put him on some kind of punishment detail. Maybe not as wholeheartedly as when the war was going on, but he was still taken back to the camp. So there's a very sad incident that happened at one of the branch camps. And this occurred in the camp over near Blissfield, Michigan. And this comes from an article that was published on November 1st, 1945. The incident happened on October 31st. In Blissfield, a truck carrying a group of POW German soldiers was headed back to the branch camp for the evening. They were coming from the fields. They'd worked all day when the truck was struck by a train. Eleven Germans were killed in the accident instantly. Five more plus an American guard, were taken to the hospital. The guard's name that was an American was Edward Logren, and he was from Cadillac. And the five injured POWs and PFC 
Loren died from their injuries at the hospitals. They were taken to both Adrian Michigan Hospital and some of them were taken to Toledo, Ohio, because Blissfield is very close to that area. There were others injured in the accident that had survived. So there was one American soldier and 16 POWs killed in this accident. The bodies of the POWs were returned to Camp Custer here in Battle Creek, and a funeral service was held for them, and they were ultimately buried at Fort Custer National Cemetery. Some of the interesting stories I heard about this one when I was doing the research for my video was that they wouldn't let them be buried with a Nazi flag draped over the coffin. So they ordered 16 German Republic flags, which was the flag that Germany flew under before Hitler took over and the war happened. So they went back to the original German Republic flags. So that was an interesting note that you don't see a whole lot of reference to. But there are photos that do show the German Republic flag draped over the coffins. And so all 16 of them were buried at Camp Custer. There are 10 other German POWs that were buried at Camp Custer. And they're all buried side by side in this section of the cemetery and you can go out and see it there's a nice memorial to them as well the other 10 are said to have died from natural causes when you read the newspaper reports and you do research they all refer to that the other 10 died from natural causes when i was working on the fort custer national cemetery video i was speaking with the honor guard gentleman that was helping me with the video and he said the official story is that the 10 died from natural causes, but what they don't tell you is that one, or it may have been two of them, were actually killed by their own German soldiers. They were beaten up and beaten to death because they were cooperating with the Americans, and there was some kind of uh, fight that happened, and they ended up killing each other. And I don't remember if he said it was just one of those incidents or two of them, so not all of them died from natural causes, even though that's the official report that you'll see in the newspaper. Once again, I wasn't able to verify his story. I tried to search and see if there were any individual articles on the deaths of the other 10 soldiers, and there were not, even in 1943. So it was kind of kept under wraps coming out of Camp Custer, and I guess you would have to have somebody who was on the inside. But he had apparently had spoken to a lot of the old veterans that had been serving at Fort Custer during that time. And the, the word was that eight or nine of them actually died from some kind of flu or some of them were older and had uh, health issues. But one of them at least was beaten up and killed by their own uh, German POW comrades. So there's an annual ceremony now held at Fort Custer, and it's held on Volksstrauer Tag. And I may have butchered the way that's pronounced, but that is Germany's Day of Mourning that happens in November of each year. And the ceremony started officially somewhere in the 80s. Uh, they started, there was a, uh, a descendant of one of the German POWs that was out there that came to the United States and worked on this project to put a memorial marker out there in front of the headstones and they landscaped it really nicely so when you go visit this section of Fort Custer Cemetery it's really nicely landscaped there's a historic marker there describing the German POWs and time that they were here in Michigan in the different branch camps and serving as a prisoners of war so that whole story is there commemorated and um 
and they hold an annual remembrance service out there on this uh, anniversary of the German National Day of Mourning. And that usually happens in like the week or two before Thanksgiving out at uh, Fort Custer. So you can look for that if you want to attend the ceremony. And several people do go every year. So it's just an interesting piece of history that not a lot of people are aware of. So after Japan finally surrendered in late 1945, the branch camps began to start closing in November of that year. And the first group of them closed and all of the POWs were sent back to Fort Custer. Now, Fort Custer at the time was set up to accommodate about 3,000 POWs. And they swelled to 6,000 when all of these POWs started coming back from all the branch camps. So they had to build a huge new enclosure for them while they were being processed out. And there was an article in January of 1946 that said that they had 6,000 of them there at Fort Custer at that point, and they were beginning to process them out, and the plan was to have them all processed out by March of 1946. The five remaining branch camps that remained open as of November 1945 was Allegan, Romulus, Blissfield, Freeland, and Gross Isle. And then once the other ones were processed out, then those five closed sometime probably December or early January of 46, and they were sent back. Um, so it took a while to get them all processed and sent out. Some of the other interesting stories about the time the German POWs were there, there was a report that the Department of Defense, they would not allow reporters to take pictures of the German POWs or the Italian POWs. And that was on the Texas camp that I mentioned earlier that was at Camp Mexia in Texas. Although in other camps, they were allowed to take pictures of the POWs from the back. But there are several photos that are from the Camp Custer era that are of the German POWs. In fact, there was one in the newspaper that was uh, taken on the day they were announced that the war was over in Europe. And there are several in the archives at the Willard Library of the German POWs. So the enforcement of that particular War Department rule varied based on the camps. So you may do research into a German POW camp somewhere else in the country and not find any photographs of that time period. There's also not many photographs of the individual branch camps, and it would depend on the officer in charge of that branch camp as to whether photography was being allowed at that time. Interestingly enough, at the branch camp that was outside of Lake Odessa, several of the artifacts from that German POW camp were found and saved by locals, and they're now in a museum there in Lake Odessa. And it may very well be that that is the only museum in the country that has original artifacts from the German POW camps here in the United States. It certainly is the only one known of in Michigan. Certainly check that out if you go to the museum there in Lake Odessa. 
So it's just a very fascinating history. It's an interesting period of time during World War II. Of course, there were German POW camps over in Europe, but most of the camps that were run by the Americans were held here in the United States. It was a big logistical problem, too, because they were constantly being brought in, and then they were, of course, you had to do something with them after the war ended, and it took several months for the State Department to work up a plan to send them back. Many of the German POWs actually stayed here in the United States. There are stories where some of them settled in parts of western Michigan here and became farmers and property owners. So that's an interesting chapter in Michigan history. A lot of these branch camps were around southwest Michigan, but there were other parts of southern Michigan, mainly in the agricultural areas. A lot of the food that was produced in Michigan from the farms during 1943 to 1945 were done on the labor of POWs, which is kind of an interesting chapter in history. So that's going to conclude today's episode exploring the history of the German POW camps and the tragedy that happened at the Blissfield accident at one of the branch camps and the 26 German POWs that are buried at Fort Custer National Cemetery and the whole story of the POW time period here based out of Fort Custer here in Battle Creek. If you liked today's episode, please be sure to leave a review on whatever app you're listening on. If you're Listening to this podcast episode from a post that I posted on Facebook or some other social media, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on most any app. Most of my subscribers come from the Apple podcast, and the other group after that would be Spotify or Anchor itself, which is where I host my channel. But there are some other apps out there in use, and certainly, you know, you certainly subscribe to the podcast. You'll be notified every time I put up uh, new episodes, and I publish episodes three times a week, and it comes out on Tuesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. And Sundays, I have interviews with different guests around Michigan, usually Southwest Michigan connected in some way, talking about some segment or chapter or interesting tidbit about history. And a lot of the guests are are very knowledgeable and quite fascinating, and they open up a lot of doors to interesting stories about Southwest Michigan history that you don't otherwise get to hear. And if you'd like to find out more about me, you can reach out to me at michaeldelaware.com or read up a little bit about me there. You can send me a message through the contact form on that if you'd like to suggest a story that I should investigate and perhaps do an episode on. You can also find a link on there to my YouTube channel as well as ways that you can donate to the work that I'm doing here. So until next time when we explore yet another fascinating chapter into yesterday and take another journey into Southwest Michigan history, thank you very much for listening.